You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Ephesians chapter 5. And it's a long one, so don't lock your knees. Start in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among the saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But in everything, exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I hope uh, you and your family got started early on summer, got some exposure to the sun, maybe got outdoors a little bit. Um, Today we're going to be, you know, I never know what people want when they show up at church. You know, what can I guess what you might hope for? So today what you can expect is I'm going to give you something that is a simple, straightforward way for you to interpret your life and even a way that you can interpret Scripture. And I'm thinking of it like almost a Dr. Seuss-like machine where you put something in, it goes through all these pipes. It, it may, you may not like the answer that comes out on the other side, but it's going to be an interesting journey through all of those pipes. Now, if, if you're not into that, if you're not interested in my Dr. Seuss machine, that's okay. I can tell you that today's sermon is going to be one of those where you'll say, you remember that time when Brady said, yeah, this is one of those sermons. So I hope that you're fully buckled in, you're, you're prepared for things that might ruffle your feathers a bit. And hopefully it's going to be something that will help you unlock and interpret your life. Now, I grew up kind of on the tail end of some fire and brimstone preaching. Now, you may not know about this style of preaching, where in order to believe something, you have to be able to yell it, 
You know, scream it to believe it. And in this Dr. Seuss uh, machine, you, you dump a lot of verses, usually at least one verse from half of, the verses, half of the books of the Bible. You dump that into the machine along with your question, and out pops at the end of that machine a screaming, yelling message of what you should and should not do. And fire and brimstone comes from, you know, the th sons of thunder wanting to call down fire and brimstone on people that didn't have their name, right? Well, I, it, it was not uncommon for me to go to a youth rally where the youth rally consisted of an older gentleman in a suit and tie yelling at the teenagers about all the things that they were doing wrong, screaming and yelling at them. And that was a youth rally. But when we come to these verses, it can kind of feel that way. Like when I was a kid, my dad was a preacher. He wasn't a fire and brimstone preacher. So whenever we would have a guest speaker, they, they, my parents liked to point out to the time when I grabbed a hold of mom and I said, what's he mad at? Who's he yelling at? Well, this may feel like one of those times, maybe even as you heard the words from Paul, making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, it's almost like you want to scare people within an inch of their lives. It's one thing for a preacher to mention some of these biggies that we'll talk about, but to throw in obscenity and drunkenness as well? It starts to feel like an ethical hurdle that you can't jump over, so why even bother trying? Just give up, throw in the towel already. Well, let's look at three of them, and I'm going to lump them kind of into big categories. The first, no fornication, no sexual impurity in verse 3. Well, this is the opposite of what we're told on a daily basis. I mean, in the training ground of our life, we're told sex doesn't matter. It has no consequence. This is about your desire, and it's about your body. If you listen to the screens, if you listen to advertisement, we're told over and over again that, that sex just doesn't matter one bit. Listen to our friends, and they say, hey, do what you want to do. You be you. And so whether we privately hold that there's no consequence or we publicly practice that there's no consequence with sexuality, that is the main thing that we learn. And as Christians, we're kind of strange in that we think sex does matter. I mean, sex came out of God's development program. His research and development brought sex into existence. It's beautiful. It's intended for pleasure. It's intended to produce life. Especially at this time of year, we see over and over again reproduction of plants, of flowers, of animals all around us. And it is beautiful to see what God has done in this life, the diversity of how he has brought things together. And so Christians are a little strange because we think sex is sacred. It's valuable. Even in Genesis 2, where it talks about a man and a woman coming together as one flesh, we know something sacred is happening. Paul, who writes this letter that we're looking at today, wrote another one to the first Corinthians. And you might remember this refrain that he says several times, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when he would bring that up? When he was talking about sex. 
Sex is sacred and holy. It is a gift from God. It is intended for God's pleasure and for our pleasure. And so what we do with our bodies, what we do with our genitals matters. It has consequence. It is significant. And if you look at these words, the Greek word might sound like one you know, porneia. We're talking about all kinds of uh, sexual acts. So think prostitution, think sexual acts for pay, adultery, and a lot of them are acts that are outside of a married, marriage, marriage relationship. So it's probably not a surprise, I'm not breaking any new information to you, that if you look at kind of the outline of scripture for what sex is meant for, it's between one woman and one man for life, right? That's not new information, that's what's intended. But I would also tell you, that same Bible that points us to that also shows all kinds of ways that we as humans don't live up to that ideal. People that God took care of and blessed even though they didn't live up to that ideal. So in the Bible you will find rape and incest and adultery and all kinds of sexual perversion. Some that might surprise you. It's a pretty graphic book. And so what I want you to hear in this message is not God saying, you can never come near to me. To hear this message is something where you might want to run away from God because God works with us as we are. And we're all broken. We're all learning what it is to live in love with one another and with God. In fact, you want to know something strange? Sex and sexual intimacy gives us a clue for the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with us. Now let that soak in a bit. Brady, that's not what I was looking for this morning. I don't want that kind of intimacy with God. Well, of course, we're talking about a spiritual kind of intimacy that God wants with each and every one of us. So, if we just sit back and think about our mistakes, whether they're real or in our mind, or the desires that we have, actions that we have done or we have not acted upon, ways that we might identify ourselves sexually, either of our own construction or what has been given to us, even the way we see ourselves in gender, all of that is meant to be seen as insignificant compared to our relationship, our intimacy with God. How we love God and how we love one another is of most importance. So if you come to a passage like this and you think, well, that's exactly why I want nothing to do with religion, you're missing what kind of intimacy that God wants with you, every one of us. Well, that's the first one. That's a big one. That gets us a little warm around the collar, right? Uh, the second one is, is no less troublesome, maybe even more into our pocketbooks. Greed. Watch out for greed of all kinds. Now, we first think about greed for money or greed for things. It could be greed for people, especially given this uh, highly charged passage. So think about seeing something that you want, whether that's money or a thing or a person, and then doing what you want and what you can to take it, to have it for yourselves. 
here in this passage, he attaches it to something that I think is probably the most important thing for us to hear with these three, and that's idolatry. If you look at verse 5, you think, all right, well, why would he attach idolatry with greed or with sexuality or with vulgar talk? Well, idolatry is not just having a gold statue and wanting to worship that gold statue. Idolatry is anything that replaces God, anything that displaces God. So think again about intimacy. It's intimacy with anything other than the one who gave you life. All right, so that's the second one, greed. The third one, obscene, silly, vulgar words. As believers, we believe that words matter. Over and over again in several of these verses, like verse 3 or verse 11, or even back into chapter 4, verse 29, we're not supposed to mention these things of evil. We're not supposed to even talk about them. We're not supposed to have empty words. Why? Because everything is going to be brought into the light. Everything visible becomes light. Even those evil deeds, what you want to do is to bring them into the light, to bring them out and expose them. And the light makes them light. Now, again, our words are not meant to tear people down. They're meant to build people up. And when we hear these things about vulgar talk, sex, or greed, do you get as antsy and uncomfortable as I do? I mean, those three big ones are bad enough, and then he throws in obscenity and drunkenness, and all of us kind of sit back and wonder, all right, Paul, it feels like you're screaming at us. And we get squirm, squirming around a little bit, thinking about these biggies and even these small ones. And here Paul feels like he's lowering the boom, saying something like, anyone who practices any of these things cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, and he says specifically the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ. And we think, well, who has a fighting chance? Who can survive? And here in this place, we feel defeated. The verse that I want you to look at is verse 8. Because in verse 8, what he says is, for you once were in darkness. These things are what you once were. It's past tense. So when you think about what church is full of, church is full of people who once were. We once were all of these things, just like Scripture is full of this. We once were. You can name the sin, you can name the abuse, you can name anything, and it's present in this room and in any church. We are a once-were church. In fact, we get into the, a wrong kind of thinking if we think about church as a club of never-wers. Yeah, we never did any of that. Because that may be just me thinking about what I struggle with and not what the entire community struggles with. And I find it very encouraging that Paul, when he lays out these paths of light, says, this is what we once were. He owns this as who we are. What we have struggled with and even what we continue to struggle with, right? If we're honest. And that, to me, that ownership is honest. 
and it encourages me. In verse 8, this is what you once were, but now you're light. The contrast between these two is as stark as light and dark, night and day. You know, she changed. The change in her was night and day. Our company was transformed. The way it's run now, it's night and day different than it was under that old leadership. It's changed significantly. Because whenever things come into a new light, they're seen differently. They're changed. Well, well, how is it possible for these dark deeds, these dark people like us, to become people of light? What's changed? It's just three little words there. Still in verse 8. But now, in the Lord, in Christ, we are light. Because of who Christ is. And I find this astounding, that Christ wants us to be in him. That Christ wants us to be found in him and we find light in him. That's amazing. So if we come to this passage and we just hear a bunch of thou shalt nots, we're going to miss out on a really important point of what God's willing and wanting to do in our lives. Which brings me to my Dr. Seuss machine. My, my way of helping you interpret your life to think about how you live your life, or even to come to Scripture and all the different challenging things that are in Scripture and apply this to Scripture. It's something of a decoder that cuts across time and space and culture and helps us know how to live and helps us know how to function as we look at Scripture. And it comes in verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of of God. Walk in this path of following God. Verse 2, love as Christ has loved. Now I've got to kind of unpack this machine a little bit more than that, right? It sounds like things that we already know. It sounds like a story that we're quite familiar with. Well, well here's the story. This is the machine. God became human. God lived as a human being, as Jesus Christ, and died because of our sins and at our own hands. That's the story. That's the story that you can bring to any situation because we're invited to live like that, to be children of that God. To imitate a God who's willing to come and lower God's self down to humanity and to die at the hands of humanity unjustly. That's how we're supposed to live. If you look closely at this, it is something of a becoming machine. At the end of chapter 4, we're supposed to become like the kind of forgiveness that God offers. And in verse 1, as we imitate God, the, the word literally means to be born this way. To be made this way. We're in this process of becoming. Becoming like God. Literally changing. So we have a choice of being able to act like who we are, beloved children. 
So if you want something to take to almost any problem that you've got, whether that's in scripture or in your own life, think about this. Because God came and died because of my sins, how am I supposed to understand my life now? Now, a lot of us, if we're, if we're believers, we think about, well, yeah, Jesus' sacrifice saves us for our sin, from our sins. Yes, we're able to say that repeatedly over and over again. We can sing it, we can quote it, we can find verses about it. Jesus, folks, doesn't just save you from your sins. Jesus, by his sacrifice, shows you how to live. That's the way we're supposed to live, sacrificing. So when we come to our group discussions and we're talking about things, we always need to come back to the fact that God became human and forgave us of the sins that executed God. When we're doing service, we need to think about how are we going to serve these folks because of a God who served us? When we get into disagreements with our spouse, we need to think about how am I going to respond to them because of how I've been treated by the way Jesus lived. When our kids aren't acting like we want them to act, when they're not aligning with what our values are, we're to ask ourselves, how am I going to act as a parent because of what God has done for me? This is very important. Jesus did not come to this world to be right. To be right on a bunch of points. Jesus didn't come to this world to be right. He came to be wronged. To allow us and the ugliness of our sin to take his life away. And that giving freely of his life shows us something about the kind of God that loves us. He didn't come to be right. He came to be wronged. And in that act, that powerful act of surrendering himself to death unjustly, he shows us what it is to be light in the world. Because if that's the way we treat our friends and our enemies, to be willing to sacrifice in that way, it shows love powerfully powerfully more than being right. And that's why when it comes to evil actions or evil words or mistreating other people, we want to be cautious about that because it shows that we're not living in the light. It's proof that we're not really wanting to imitate God. To put it more graphically, we are partnering with those evil deeds. We're pairing up we're having intimacy with them rather than with God. Our lovers have replaced the one lover that we're supposed to have, God, the eternal one that loves us and has given us life. So we have to think about uh, what's filling up our schedule. What is in every minute? What's, what's showing up consistently every hour? What repeats itself that doesn't need to be there? What's the, the bandwidth of our mind? What is it downloading? What is it pulling? Because we sometimes think that just being in church one hour per week is enough to give us that light and give us that life. Now, I know that religious people may be uncomfortable with, with my 
imagery here. It may seem too risque to think about this kind of intimacy with God. A God who wants, in chapter 1, verse 10, to gather up all people and all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. A God who went so far to say, through Paul, in chapter 4, verse 6, that Jews, the promised people of God, and Gentiles, all the other nations that are still God's children, Jews and Gentiles can be members of one another? What? Are you kidding me? Of the same body? One flesh? Yes. That is the kind of world that God envisions. It's a kind of world that we work for right now. We don't wring our hands and just wait for it for later. That one flesh unity is what God wants. The God who made us. The God who in Christ is healing us. The God who by the power of the Spirit is filling us, is working to restore creation. There's a, there's a house that I drive by every day on my way home from work. And when we first moved here, the house was lined with solar panels. And I don't know, maybe a few months after we got here, the solar panels were gone. And just up there are the wooden risers. Another house, another place. Heard about a house in the town that we moved from that uh, is installing solar panels. They put them on several years ago, and now that family needs to move. They're moving to another state. But they can't sell their house because of the investment in the solar panels. They've been making money off of those solar panels, uh, actually being able to sell their electricity. Now, I have not researched this. I don't know which is better. I don't know if it's better to, to put the investment and be able to use more electricity for less money. I don't, I don't know if it's worth the environmental hazard, right, of the development of solar panels. That's not my concern. I do know one thing. Solar panels need sun. I'm no you know, expert scientist, but I know this. Solar panels need sun. You're not going to say and be serious you know, I turn those solar panels on every night and I'm getting no electricity. I mean, how dumb would that be? Can you imagine being the tech support person on the other line? We turn them on every night and we're getting no electricity. Uh, that's not exactly how this works. Or the person that just has the risers up there. Well, yeah, we've got them stored in the garage. We've got the risers up there. No electricity is being generated. That, that's not how this works. Whenever these words are shared with us, they're not meant to be a screaming fire and brimstone fit. They're giving us guidance. Guidance for what our life can look like. Consequences even for what happens when we're not connected to the light. It's the difference between darkness and light. If we're not finding that spiritual charge, it may be because we're living in darkness at First Christian, we expect all of our members to be really plugged in. Of course, in their personal life where they're reading the Bible and they're praying, doing that with their family or their apartment, right? We also expect everyone to be leading a home group. That's right, leading a home group or helping out lead a home group. We have expectations that people will be contributing their time and their money to First Christian. It's not because they're rules. It's because we know that exposure to light is how we energize ourselves, how we get connected to God. 
by prayer and encouragement and being around one another. It's why we want our kids in VBS and want them inviting their friends to VBS. More and more exposure to light. It's why we like our teens to be together on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and if not more, to be immersing themselves in time being together with other people that are seeking the light. It's why they go on trips like Christ in Youth, C-I-Y, to head out and be encouraged by others that are living in the light. Because it's exposure to light, as much as you can get, that helps charge you up and gives you energy. If you're just charging yourself one hour a week, it's not the same as the charge that you're drawing from the 24-7 news cycle, where you're plugged into your particular channel, hearing your particular bit of information. What I will tell you is if you're plugged into that, whatever that channel is, you are going to find yourself more anxious, more worried, more concerned that there are conspiracies everywhere and that people are in the shadows wanting to pull your life apart. If you find yourself plugged into pornography on a regular basis, you are rewiring yourself to draw a charge from a place that will eventually disappear because it's a charge that will not be met. Paul gives us the effects of light. And the effects of light are this, that the God who made you wants you to imitate him. In 4.32 and in 5.1, we are to forgive the way God is forgiven. What else? We are to live in love like Christ. Christ who was willing to give up his life for people that weren't living right, that didn't even know what they were doing, us, a group of once were people who don't have it all together, who are trying to gain exposure to the light. We're supposed to live in that kind of love. We're in verse 18 of chapter 5. To not be filled with wine, but be filled with thanksgiving, with gratitude, to be people of joy, knowing the good things that God has done to be full of light. Well, it's a challenging journey to look at a passage like this, and I want you to hear again that if you hear screaming, you're not hearing the message of this text, of a God who invites us to be one with him, to live with this God, to be transformed, to look like Jesus Christ, and to be full of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, you're a good God. I, I don't know why you put up with any one of us because we don't have it together. We're selfish. We're plugged into the wrong things. And we often turn away from you. Father, would you help us in this time of sunshine, in this time of more light and longer days, to be reminded that you are our light. You are the giver of life. You're the one who wants to fill us with life and light. We pray that we will be your people. Not concerned about the mistakes that we've made in the past. Not hung up on barriers that we might build between us and you. But to be a people who seek intimacy with you. Above anyone else, above anything else, May you be our lover. 
God, this is our prayer through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, as one God now and forever. Amen.